Well, welcome to the first week of our brand new series called Why? Now, I think why is a good question to ask, and we're going to press into this. So just listen, we're going to talk about why we do some of the things that we do as a church, specifically rituals. But some of the routines that you'll see happen, that, that in fact, when you're here and, and we're all to gather together, some of the things we do to things together. And what I want you to do, and, and I think this is wise of us, is to not just go through stuff in church and say, well, I don't know, really know why we do it. Don't, don't tell anybody I don't know why we do it. I think you and I should say, I know exactly why we do this and have that meaning in there. And so that's what we're going to do for four weeks. We're going to go through some of the, the Fountain Springs rituals. But I thought it'd be pertinent to start off with some questions for you and I. Are there things that, uh, things that you do, just you, you personally, things that you do that, that well, you're not sure or never thought about why you do it? Let, let, me, let me help you with this. When you get up in the morning, uh, do you brush your teeth first or take a shower first? I mean, I asked this question, and, and what I found is that there's different people that do different things. Some of you, you're, you're shower takers first. You jump into that. You can't do anything. You can't function without the shower first, then everything else is taken care of. Some of you, your mouth and, and your breath is so stank, it's like, got to brush the teeth. But, but just think through, like, what do you do and, and why do you do it? Uh, or, or how about this? How about folding towels in the house. Now, if, if you're single, you don't know the big deal about this question that I'm talking to you about. You're like, what's the big deal about how you fold a towel? Get married and then come back and talk to me. Because here's what happens when you get married. You find out that, that your parents come from a different tradition of towel folding than their parents. And you, you fold towels and your spouse would say, that's not the right way. And you're like, no, no, no your way is not the right way. And, and so just, just helping you out. But but I'm just curious, think about how you fold towels. Why, why do you fold the towels that way? Some of you are like, well, because it's the right way. And some of you are like, well, I don't know. Uh, why do you do some of the things that you do? Now, some, some things really, frankly, they aren't important why you do it. But, but if you enjoy sports, you know some of the, the weirdness that go on with athletes, and they do certain things for really weird reasons. In fact, some of them would say, I do this before the game uh, to help us win. It, to you and I, in rational world, it doesn't make sense. So I put together some, well, examples. So here's the first one. The best basketball player to have ever played the game of basketball. One of the best athletes to have ever existed. Yes, I have an opinion about this. Michael Jordan. Now, Michael Jordan, if you don't know who he is, you need to go learn who he is. Michael Jordan just destroyed perceptions of basketball, destroyed the idea of what a human being could do on a basketball court. Now, here's what you may not know about Michael Jordan. When he started his career, he had just graduated from the University of North Carolina, a horrible university, by the way, but uh, he just graduated, and, and, and they had done some incredible things. When he started his career, it's, it's rumored that as a professional basketball player, he continued to wear his college basketball shorts underneath his shorts. He would say it helped them win their championships. Some people have different opinions, but frankly, after a while, that sounds cute at first and neat at first, but when you go through your whole career, you're like, that's kind of weird. Here's some more routines. If you follow tennis, you know about Serena. I mean, seriously, she is dominant in the sport. Let me tell you a few things about her regarding her routine. You need to know that she bounces the ball five times before her first serve. And then after 
that, her second serve, she'll bounce the ball twice. She will always do that. And in fact, she would tell you that she has lost some matches. She's lost because she broke that routine. She is so devoted to the five bounces and the two bounces. Some of you are like, well, what's the big deal if you do four? I mean, what's the big deal? To her, to her, this routine, this ritual helps her win. Okay? okay, let's get some other ones. Kevin Garnett, again, we'll go back to basketball. Kevin Garnett, an incredible basketball player. Here's what he does one hour before every game. One hour, not two hours, not a half hour. One hour before every game, he eats a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's what he does. And, and, and he would contend that that helps him be a better professional basketball player. What, whatever. Uh, okay, for those of you hockey lovers, hockey lovers, hockey lovers, listen to this, Wayne Gretzky, like the one, right? The chosen one for all of hockey. Now, here's what you may not know about him, is he would never get his hair cut when they traveled on the road. They, you know, go to an away game and, and they're getting ready to play. He would never get his hair cut when he was away from home. He did once and they lost. And so Wayne Gretzky decided that he would never get his hair cut on an away trip and he concluded, that helped them win. Weird routines, weird routines. Probably the weirdest one, I think, if you like college football, you know this guy, Les Miles. He, he has been, well, he's been very successful in college football. So it's kind of weird for us to argue this, but you need to know this before every game. Before every game. Before every game. He eats grass from the field they're going to play on. He eats it. Like an animal, he, he eats it. He picks it and eats it. And he would contend it's some sort of good luck tradition ritual that he does to, to, make, sure, <laughs> to make sure that they win. Now, no, you and I have these weird rituals and routines, and, and frankly, some of them we would say, well, I do it because I've always done it, and this is what I do, and it makes me feel like I'm in the right place at the right time and, and, and doing things in the right motion. Here, how about church? I would say that many of us are doing things in church, going through rituals and, and routines, and, and, and we're doing this, and, and, and we're not exactly sure why we do it. it. It just makes us feel something. It makes us feel maybe a bit more secure that we're repeating some good behaviors. And, and what I would tell you is, I, I believe that rituals, especially with church, could have more meaning if we ask why. And in fact, the four that I want to unfold for us during this month, I think are four that as you and I re-engage them for the rest of our lives, that they will become more meaningful, more purposeful. And in fact, the most important thing, most important thing, I think all of us will know more about Jesus when we're done learning about all this. Now, I've experienced different things in churches. I grew up, I remember in college, we had to go visit different churches, and I went to this one church where, where I was sitting down, and then everyone stood up. So, so then I stood up. And then without explanation, they all sat down. I was like, okay, so I sat down. And then they popped up again. And it was as if they had this special meeting before, a special meeting called the when to stand up and sit down meeting. And, and I missed that meeting somehow. Uh, and I remember it because I was like, I'm out of place and I don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. So, so think about this. What if you and I found a ton of meaning in rituals? And I know some of you growing up in church, you're like, rituals? Like, this is so boring. Like, no, 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 no. Let me, let me give you some understanding, some, some terminology behind what a ritual actually is. So, so, like, so we define, we kind of put together our own definition of rituals. Here, here's what it is. Rituals help us express our deepest thoughts and feelings 
about what we hold as important. Uh, rituals help us express our deepest thoughts and feelings about what we hold as important. And so as a church, I'll unfold this. There's, there's a few things that, that we hold as, as very important. We believe that Jesus saves us from all of our mistakes and our sins and, and all of our brokenness, our lack of hope, we can get it from Jesus. And rituals, well, they help us express those thoughts, those feelings about what Jesus has done for us. And in fact, I would say that if you don't know some things, then you're going to begin to unpack some things in ways that you shouldn't. In fact, better said, if we don't know the reason, we won't know the value. And so here they are. We do funerals as a church. We do weddings. And we have communion and baptism. Those four things. You may actually think, oh, I know why we do those. We do weddings to get people married. And and all the stuff we do in it, we don't know why, but it's to get them married. And communion, we do communion so we can know what bad bread tastes like. And, and, and baptism, it's because they're dirty or, or we just put them on it. We don't know why. And funerals, well, David, don't even talk about funerals. Don't talk, no, 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 no. I don't want to talk about funerals. That's, that, that's painful. Well, I, I knew that you wouldn't want to talk about funerals. And you probably wouldn't come back if you knew when I was going to talk about it. So I had to launch off with it. <laughs> so one of the rituals... One of the things that we do as a church are called funerals. So let's talk about funerals. Let's talk about why we, why, why we as a church do funerals. What is the point? What is the value of funerals? Now, now I know why some of you are like, I don't want to talk about this. I, I, I'm very realistic here that some of us, well, we're going through pain. And you don't want to talk about this. I mean, fellows at RCMU, guys, I, I know that you've experienced pain in your life. Uh, everyone here at West, I know you, you've experienced pain and and the idea of now me the pastor bringing it up at this unexpected moment and you're, you're wondering and there's there's these fears that begin to surface up please please i think we're gonna have a good time with this but a meaningful time if you listen funerals means we talk about death and death is one of those conversations that appears to be taboo we'll talk about death we don't talk about death until we're in the moment of that, and we don't even talk about it much then. And I would contend in my experiences that we've lost our ability to even deal with death. For the most part, at a funeral, people are unsure what to do and how to, how to walk that out, how to talk, how to, how, to, how to even go through that. And I, I would say that there are many of us afraid of death. Now, some of you, you've, you've bypassed that. You're not afraid of death. You're afraid of dying. It's the process of dying that you're actually afraid of and don't want to experience. And whatever it is, I would tell you that we have to talk about this. But we can talk about this in a way that helps us. Now, death, the fear of death is common. In fact, I read, I don't know if you remember Larry King. Uh, Larry King was on TV forever, forever. In fact, a long, long time. But, but Larry King is a well-known TV show interviewer host. Uh, he's, he's retired recently. In 2015, he got interviewed. They're just reflecting back on his career. And what they learned in his interview since he's retired is that he is afraid of death. Larry King uh, has confessed he's completely afraid of death. He's trying to avoid death. And let, let me, let, now, some of you are like, well, okay, that makes sense. No, 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 listen to this. Every morning he wakes up, one of the first things he does is he reads the obituaries. He's fascinated and afraid all at the same time. 
Now, now let me tell you about Larry King even more. He's had a heart attack, quintuple bypass, prostate cancer, diabetes, and seven divorces, all of which could have killed him. All of them. <laughs> now, now, he's 77 at the point of this interview where CNN is talking to him. And here's why I tell you this. He's afraid of death, and maybe you'll resonate with this, so he's trying to avoid it at all costs because he thinks there's no hope. So what he does is every day he takes four hormone pills. He's already decided that when he does die, because he knows he can't completely avoid it, but he's starting to get away from it. When he does die, he, he wants to be frozen. He wants literally his body to be frozen so that when time comes that he can wake back up, uh, he can wake back up. He thinks by being frozen, that preserves that. And Here's a statement. I don't want you to miss this. It's nuts, is what he says, but at least it gives me a shred of hope. Other people have no hope. Now, I would disagree with him. I don't think our physical death is the end of all hope. But when we talk about death, it seems like hope is not present in the room. That's why we don't talk about it, and that's why we're afraid of it, and that's why we try to avoid it. And in fact, I would say that we've put, a, we've put a hush on all death conversations. It's taboo. So I want to explain this. I want you and I to have full color to this. I want you and I that we're not afraid of funerals. We, we aren't awkward at funerals. It's, it's not a brokenness in our heart for, for a reason that we shouldn't be broken. Uh, so here's, I want to just define it for you, a funeral. Here's what a funeral is. A, a funeral is a ritual for the purpose of helping us mourn our grief. It's, a, it's for the purpose of helping us mourn our grief. Now, now let me explain this. because this, so, so when you and I have someone pass away, there's grief. Grief, your, your heart's broken. You're going through things that, that you don't know what to do, and so, so you're not sure how to explain this, but you got this grief, this pain, this broken heart, this the hope seems to have gone away. You're sad. Your, your mind is consumed with things, and, and there's this grief. This, I miss that person. It's normal, and it's expected, and it should happen. Grief. Here's the problem with this, is if you don't communicate and express that grief well, that grief that has been hurting your heart, it will harden your heart. That's why some of us don't want to talk about death. It's because grief has been so destructive in our hearts. However, a funeral a funeral is designed to help us express our grief so that, so here's how this works, is mourning. Mourning, to, to mourn, to express, to talk about, to cry, to, to laugh, to mourn your grief. Mourning is the way for your grief to get out. And a funeral becomes a catalytic moment for this. A funeral allows us to mourn, to talk about, to express, to, to dream about, to cry, to, to, to just remember why our heart is broken and how special that person was. So life for us is important, but I want to share a couple of things, that, well, frankly, that you and I need to know about funerals. In fact, I broke it down. I tried to make this as simple as possible. There's a couple of things that you and I, what we need to know about funerals. Here's the first one. Funerals are for family and friends. I know it's, we think, well, no, 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 wait, wait a minute, David, you, you, you didn't speak that well. Funerals are for, are for people who have passed away. No, they're not. 
I know that's the terminology we typically use and we think, but a funeral is not for the person who's passed away. That person who's passed away uh, <clears throat> is not at the funeral. Uh, they're not thinking about the funeral. A funeral is for you, family and friends, to, to gather together and celebrate a person's life, to express your broken heart. And so I, let me tell you one of the classic questions. People, when they come to me like, and we got a funeral, and we don't know what to do, and what we like to say, and you need to hear this. I ask, and we ask, what do you want to do? See, funerals are an interesting ritual. See, I'm going to talk to you about weddings. There's requirements for weddings. Things that I don't get to choose that just have to be in there. Uh, same thing with communion. Same thing with baptism. There are rules and requirements. Funerals, funerals are the odd ritual that we're talking about that doesn't have a bunch of uh, rules and regulations and requirements. In fact, a funeral, let me, let me have you, uh, when you're thinking about, well, what do we sing? Whatever you want. I suggest Adele, as you know that. I, uh, what do you want to sing? sing? Sing the songs that you want to sing that are special to you and the person that you're remembering and expressing grief for. Uh, what do you want to say? Well, you can say what you want to say. However you need to and want to get those emotions out. See, sometimes in these rituals, we get so formal that we think that we've got to follow suit. We've got to follow in this moment where we better say the right thing at the right time. and We better not get out of order. No, 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 no. Funerals, funerals are the moment for you to express what's going on. Funerals are for family and friends. Now, now I tell you, like, play what music you want to play. And, and, and oh, by the way, dress how you want to dress. If, if, if everyone wants to wear you know, cowboy gear, go ahead and do that. If, if you want to wear your favorite team, what, do that. If you want to dress up, dress up. If you want to wear all black, all black, do that. I've been to weddings where everyone wore all white. You get to choose that. But, but can, I, can, I, can I suggest something for you not to do? Something that, well, I'm actually going to beg you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg you right now. Please, 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 please don't do what I'm about to show you that a family did a long time ago, or not so long ago, but, but they did it, and, and it, it breaks my heart that they did it. i got to show you just a little a half-minute clip of, of what they did at a funeral. Take a, take a look at this. He said, what am I supposed to do? i got two boys on bike. My sister just offhandedly said, oh, Dad, just be buried with it. I think about two weeks after that, it really hit him. What a great idea. And, I, and we all was just like, Dad. And he, he goes, no, that's how I'm going out. And we still thought he was kidding. 18 years later, guess what? Yeah, you, you just saw that. You can't, you can't unsee it. And in fact, I, I wanted to make sure you can't unsee this. Uh, this family decided uh, that the dad who passed away, uh, he owned a Harley. And, and rather than trying to figure out, you know, which, which boy gets the Harley, what they decided was, what he decided actually, was that <clears throat> he would be buried sitting on the Harley. So they constructed this, this frame, and, and this is what they lowered into the grave. And, and to this day, this is what he's sitting on, uh, 100th anniversary Harley Davidson. A hundred anniversary, Harley. So, so for those of you who contemplate this is a good idea, don't you, don't you dare desecrate a Harley Davidson this way. I'm telling you right now, if you don't know what to do with your Harley, come talk to me. 
but seriously. I, I'm, I'm just asking you, some of the stuff that we do with funerals, we spend money in ways that we shouldn't, and, and we feel like we have to do certain things that we shouldn't. Listen, listen, listen. Funerals are for family and friends, for you to express your heart. But that's not the, that's not the only reason. And in fact, I would contend it's not the primary reason. Our grief needs to be released. Okay, I get that. Our grief needs to be released. The purpose of a funeral is to express those. But let me tell you something more profound, the, the deeper part of a funeral. Here, here it is. Funerals, they bring up reality. And this is the more serious conversation. Funerals bring up reality. It's why anytime you've ever been to a funeral, a part of your grief is that you are having to face reality that that person is no longer here. That feeling of aloneness, that feeling of desperation, of hopelessness, of feeling lost. Every funeral I have ever been to, every family that I have ever grieved with, they learn in the moment of losing someone they love and at the ritual of what we call a funeral, funerals bring up reality every time. Now, for some, reality is good, and sometimes reality is not. But here is, at the, at the base level, the most profound thing that you and I can learn in the midst of talking about death and funerals and, and that we are need to celebrate the life of someone, and that's why we got this ritual. Listen, funerals bring up reality, but here's what's even more important. It shows you, here's the reality, life matters to you. Life flat out matters to you. It does. Life matters to you. Whether, whether right now you're, you're questioning this, some, some of you right now are so hopeless, you're like, I don't know if life matters. It, it does. Life matters to you. Life, life matters. Life matters in such a profound way that that's why we celebrate the, a new life and that's why we preserve life. That's why all over the entire globe for, for years upon thousands of years, cultures have just naturally considered murder to be wrong because we value life. Life is so important to us. So when you, so when you have someone that you love that, that loses their life, that it goes away, that you grieve so much because of that value of life. When you attend a funeral and you're in this ritual, one of, the, one of the good things in this is that you can remember the reality that life matters. So let me slide a question over to you, very simple. How are you engaging that truth that life matters? Now, 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 we know this because life matters, and that brings about fears, the fears of losing that life. Jesus knew this. Matthew 10 unfolds this very quickly, very shortly, but Matthew 10 shows us this. Look at this. Uh, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Now, he says this because he knows what's going on. He knows that you and I are afraid of that ending part. Do not be afraid, that fear part. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Jesus, I love how he begins to speak just reality into our lives, saying, hey, I know you're afraid of death. Don't be afraid of that physical death. Now, Jesus isn't the only one that talked about this. You can jump to Hebrews. Hebrews unpacks what Paul said. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying, listen, listen, could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. Now watch this, it keeps going. Only in this way could he set free, set free 
set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Now, is Jesus and Paul saying, hey, you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to go to a funeral and be, be freaking out and having to be awkward. You, you don't have to fear this. Are they just trying to pacify our fears? That's a good question, I think. Is Jesus just being positive? Is Paul just trying to make sure we don't live in fear? Or could there be truth underneath driving words like don't be afraid of death? I think so. And to illustrate it, I wanted, to, I wanted you and I to walk into a story, a very quick story. Walk into this story of Jesus. Jesus is actually about to have his life threatened. In fact, I'm going to forward this just to the story. What he says, what I'm about to read to you, people afterwards react in such a way that they pick up rocks. And they're getting ready to literally stone him to death. That's how intense what, what he's about to say. So, so let me show it to you. John chapter 8 says this. The Jews answered him, talking to Jesus. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now you're like, okay, that sounds like Bible stuff. I'm not sure. Yes, sure. You need to know that, that by calling him a Samaritan, that was the lowest viewed person on planet Earth to them. And in fact, Samaritans, they, like Jews would often say, if you ever see a Samaritan woman giving birth, do not help her so that we don't bring another Samaritan into this world. They hated Samaritans. And then to compound it, to be demon-possessed was to say, you've lost your mind. Literally, where it was common, demon-possessed people that say, you're, you're worthless and you've lost your mind, is what they're saying. Jesus, Jesus was getting confronted. Now, watch this, because he answers, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. He's talking about God. And he is the judge. He's talking about God. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. What? I, this is Jesus. We take and hang on every word that he's ever said. We don't think he's ever lied. We don't think he's ever broken our trust. But come on. Jesus just said to people, they're about to stone him to death. Whoever obeys my word will never see death. I mean, never see death? He's being very honest. And he's being very direct. What he's saying is, if you obey his word. Now, some of you are freaking out. You're like, Oh, no, I'm not perfect. I don't obey Jesus' words every day all the time. No, no, no. See, if you've ever done this, if you've ever had a child in your house, you can say that my child is an obedient child. That doesn't mean they're a perfect child. They can obey, but have moments of imperfection of not obeying, but still overarching over the umbrella of obedience. Whoever obeys my word, he's saying, whoever loves me, follows me, listens to me, will never see death. This puts on the table something that you may have never processed, but perhaps you believe. What do you believe? Do you believe that when you die, there's a five-minute waiting period, that you're somewhere, some off place, that you're wondering, you're waiting for something to happen? Do you believe that it's automatic? Do you believe that you immediately go to heaven just because you are a good person? What do you believe happens after death? That's what funerals bring on the table, bring up reality of, of what happens after death. Jesus is saying, you don't have to be afraid of physical death 
You don't have to worry about that. Paul even says, no, 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 Jesus gave us victory. And Jesus says, you will not, you will not die. What's he talking about? I can tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about you, your soul. He's talking about not your body. He's talking about you, the, the important part, the part that drives your body, the part that is held responsible for your choices, your soul, you, the person that you know that others may not know about, you. He says that soul part of you, if you follow and love Jesus, you will never die. And so Jesus is trying to help us understand Something very profound about heart and hope. Here's, here's what it is. When your heart breaks, your hope doesn't have to go away. I pray that you never forget this for every funeral that you ever attend, every moment that you're afraid of death. When your heart breaks, your hope doesn't have to go away. So as a church, we practice funerals. We don't pretend like death didn't happen. We don't ignore it and pacify it and say, hey, no one talk about it. Let's get this over real quick. Just, just, just don't look. Don't, don't pay attention. Don't bring up reality. No, 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 no. When your heart breaks, your hope doesn't have to go away. Because Jesus said, he beat death for you. Now, some, some of us, we struggle with this. We're like, wait a minute. See, so you've got to understand the attributes of God and how God can talk about this and actually accomplish this. Regarding your, your view of afterlife, I can tell you the Bible's clear. God was crystal clear. There's a heaven and there's a hell. When you go to a funeral, many of us think about it. What's sad is, is we wait to the moment of losing someone we love to think about it. Heaven or hell. And God's intentions with you, just so you know, he wants to spend forever with you in heaven. To be in heaven doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you have to go to church every weekend or that you have to raise your hand right or stand up at the right time or sit down at the right time. It doesn't mean that you can't have a bad past. Let me help you explain this. See, when we talk about God and describe God, God has many attributes. I mean, God is loving. God is giving. God is powerful. God is everywhere. Those are attributes we talk about God all the time and we explain God and that makes sense. Let me introduce to you, if you've never thought of this or think about this as an attribute of God, here it is. God is eternal. So you and I think about beginning and endings. Everything has a beginning and an ending. Everything begins, everything ends. You and I think that way. We think time, we think seconds, minutes, hours, months, years, decades, centuries, God is eternal. He doesn't think in that context. He thinks about a line that's far bigger, far bigger than you and I, far bigger than our little blip of a life. He thinks so much longer and forever. So what God is most concerned about you, listen, 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 is not just what happens in this little moment. He's concerned about forever. What happens when you die? God is eternal. And he wants you to be with him in eternity. That's why we read places in the Bible like this, Romans 6. For the wages 
of sin is death. That means the cost of our sin, the cost of not being perfect people, the cost of making choices that are selfish, the cost of all of that is eternity in hell. That's what that's saying. I know that seems like incredibly crass and, and very abrupt. For the wages of sin is death, but, 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 but. God doesn't want that to be your ending. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's saying is, he beat death for you. In fact, let me say it a different way. Either death beats you or Jesus beats death for you. That's why, frankly, I don't hate and despise funerals. The ritual of a funeral designed to help you and I express our feelings in this horrible, heartbreaking moment. What every funeral and every ritual like that should bring onto our plate is what do you believe? Either death beats you or Jesus beat death for you. Death and funerals uncover what you actually believe. So let me slide this over to you. In the midst of funerals, whether you're willing to consider this right now or later, what do you believe about life after death? I promise you that a funeral will reveal what you actually believe, and I challenge you to consider wrestling that down before you ever encounter another funeral.